All right. Well, tonight we're going to talk about our message. Not tonight's message. The message tonight is about our message, capital M, and where it's derived from and why it is so hideous a thing to pervert that message. And we're going to uh, consider Paul's description of it and why any other addition or subtraction is so devastating to the message of Christ. We introduced this uh, pretty well last week, but we're going to press forward in Galatians chapter 1 and look at the need to clarify the uh, origin of our message, that its content is certainly requires our examination and consideration, uh, but its origin as well is also something of concern to us. And so we want to uh, go ahead and study this out. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word before us and your spirit within us, your people around us, and for the opportunity to look into your word and, and to spend some time considering its truth and its application to our lives and circumstances uh, and to our world, really. And Lord, we pray that you might direct our thoughts, uh, that they might be in accordance with yours. And we pray that uh, your spirit might have liberty to move in each life and each heart and each mind, both here in this place and in the hearing uh, to the media as well. And Lord, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we looked last week at the other gospel that isn't another gospel. Um, and the reason it's not another gospel, that may seem like, well, that's a conflicting statement right there. What's Paul trying to say? What he's trying to say is this other message um, is not really good news. <laughs> and we talked about that last week, right? It's not good news to hear someone say that you have to earn your way to heaven and that Christ wasn't enough. And that that really is the, the essence of those that want to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, their own religious activity, their own works, uh, any aspect of keeping the law, uh, any of those, once we add that to the formula for becoming a child of God, for entering into a right relationship with God, we're not talking about Christian living, um, for certainly there should be some fruits of repentance in your life that is evidenced by righteousness, holiness, but we're talking about Statements saying, well, you must not have received the Holy Spirit because you haven't had X, Y, or Z happen in your life. Um, Whether it's a spiritual gift, which the Bible goes out of its way to say that you're not supposed to have all of them or any one particularly for everyone. Um, Or whether it's uh, a certain classification of the law that you're keeping. Uh, Any of those we saw as adding to the message... uh, wasn't good news. And so when, God, when Paul here is saying uh, they have a different gospel, but it's not really a gospel. And the word gospel, of course, means good news. So their message isn't good news. It is not good news that Jesus didn't do enough. That we need to uh, add to that by our own works. That you need to be zealous for the law as well as uh, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And one of the passages that that body talks about is a passage that speaks of us filling up the sufferings of Christ. And they often take it out of context. Many of many of those in the Roman church as well uh, add to that, and they talk about 
that that's really referring to us doing penance. Uh, but, that's, but that passage isn't referencing the penal, paying the penalty for sin. That is not what is referenced in that passage at all when it talks about us filling up the sufferings of Christ. It is about us joining him post-salvifically and not to enable anyone else's salvation other than those that need to hear the word of God. That we are filling up his sufferings by living that obedient life and sharing in them, if you will, because that we are his followers and as they hated him, they hated us. As they um, spat upon him, they should spit upon us. As they sought to crucify him, they'll seek to crucify us. That we will fill that up in measure, not to accomplish salvation, but rather to accomplish the fulfillment of uh, what we studied in Revelation, the, the, the wrath of God. So our filling up the sufferings of Christ is for a very different purpose than to achieve anyone's salvation, including your own. Filling up the sufferings of Christ is about filling up the wrath of God, that we're going to serve God, that while they hate us, we love them. While they kill us, we try to deliver them. Um, while they uh, oppose us, we serve them, and that is what Christ did to his own, and his own received him not. And so this is what that passage is talking about, not about the salvific work of Christ, and it is a hideous thing to, to take that passage, that one verse out of context, and apply it and say, well, you see, we have to finish the work of Christ. He started on the cross, and now we all are on the path that we can achieve our salvation. And as soon as you hear that, achieve my salvation... You should give, that's not good news. Because where does that road end? How much do you have to do? Who decides how much you have to do to appease God's wrath so that you can be saved? If Jesus didn't do enough, how much more do you have to add to him? And whether it's Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, and that's been in the forefront this week for some reason. It's, it's, must, it's doing its rounds or something among our pastors and and churches, and so we're responding to it. And uh, but uh, uh, it, when does it end? At what point do you achieve salvation if Christ isn't enough? And this is something Paul's going to bring out. And so we looked at that last week extensively. I don't want to go into it too much more, but I did want to share with you because I know I didn't talk about it last week. Was that when verse seven says it's not another gospel? doesn't mean it's not that different or that it's similar, but what he's saying is that it's not really good news at all. They say it's another gospel, but it's not because it's bad news. It's not good news at all. It's not really another way to God because there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. There is no secondary avenue into heaven. Uh, There is no window. There's a door, and that's the way into heaven. And of course, he's going to bring that out uh, more extensively in verses 8 and following, which is where our text is today. We're going to take it from um, 8 through verse 12. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. For I do not, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 
But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he's going to go into and talk about how that that occurred, the uh, events of his life that are tied into our study in Acts fairly well. And so we come into this study and we find that Paul wants to address origins. And this, by the way, um, frightfully speak, um, this is still an issue today. Um, in fact, I have several books in my library that say Pauline theology. What does that mean? That means that it was derived from or developed by or taught by or originated in Paul. And so I have, and by the way, this is not just one or two. I have a good number of books that if you look on them, you'll find Paul's idea of, I have a book, Paul's idea of community. Um, Pauline uh, treatise on the, you know, so I've got a number of books that on the spine you will find the name Paul. In the genitive, Paul's this, Paul's that. And Paul would have decried that. And this is the verses we would point to to say, this isn't Paul's message. Uh, There's a whole group of unbelievers, and, and they're coming out of some pretty strong seminaries, not theologically strong, but well known, Harvard and such, that would contend that Jesus didn't teach most of what we understand as Christianity from the Bible. Um, All of your group that would hold to uh, liberal uh, ecclesiastical dogma, uh, or not even dogma, practice, um, that are allowing women, allowing divorces, allowing homosexuals, all of that, um, keep pointing to the fact, and here's their famous thing, I'm going to tell you everything Jesus said against homosexuality. And then they stand there silent while the congregation applauds them. As though somehow only the words in red count in the Bible. Uh, and that's if you have a red letter edition where all the words spoken by Jesus are in red. And there's con- their contention is, is that most of what we understand as Christianity was developed later by the disciples, and it was not necessarily the intention of Jesus for it to go that direction. And so they'll come to you, and they'll challenge it, and, and if you can't support it by the statements of Jesus out of the Gospels, or some way of referencing that, um, they're not going to hold it. We end up with two different uh, divisions within the New Testament. And this is even played out in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, in the Roman Church... Uh, historically, um, well, first of all, historically, they weren't allowed to have Bibles, right? I mean, not in their own language, only in Latin or Greek and Hebrew. And uh, so uh, that's what all those guys died for, was translation work to get the Bible into people's hands in their own language, uh, and a great history there that we are the benefactors of. Um, But even for them, uh, historically, uh, when you get in onto the stage, uh, only certain people can read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's set apart separate. And, the, and those four books of the Bible are venerated 
and put on this higher plane than the other books of the Bible. And I remember I was asked to do a, um, a message at a funeral in a, in a Roman Catholic church up in Berlin. And, uh, oh boy, they were so nervous about me getting up there. Um, and the one stipulation they said is, we do not want to, to read out of the Gospels. You read out of anywhere else, but we reserve that for our priest, and you have to do certain you have to do certain things to give honor to the gospels. And I wasn't allowed to do it, and no one but the priests were allowed to read out of the gospels. And they set the gospels out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as something distinct and separate and higher than all the other writings of the New Testament. And these um, are good writings, but but they diminish their value to us. And so this is something very real going on all around you in quote-unquote Christendom, which isn't true Christendom, um, that are challenging the practices of the church, challenging righteousness, and really challenging... Um, once you take away uh, the New Testament from Acts forward, you're in deep trouble of how you're going to do church. Because Jesus wasn't really very specific and very um, broad in his descriptions and, and uh, instructions for the church. Uh, and so we find that we would be at a loss to know how to do anything. That's why these people want to delete all of that, or at least minimize it, and say, well, those really aren't demanding of us that we have to obey because now they can define and do church however they please um, within the context of only Jesus's teaching uh, that those alone as if Jesus wasn't involved in the giving of Genesis through Revelation and so this is very real um, this is this is being uh, this is under attack today uh, in modern Christendom quote-unquote, and I use that word, quote-unquote, because I don't believe they are Christians. Um, they are not followers of Jesus Christ. They are not little messiahs. Uh, they are not followers of the way. Um, but that is their contention. And so um, this is a very real issue we need to address in our bibliology is does the authority of God's word end at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the church? Or do we have all of this? And Paul wants to address this. And is this sufficient or is there more? And so we want to see it here. And of course, Paul begins right away with addressing that if anyone comes and, and delivers a message, whether it's him, which is a fascinating statement, um, that statement basically is, is that I'm not allowed to change this message, and I'm Paul. I don't get to tweak it to my liking. I'm not going to do that. And if I do do that, let me be accursed. Wow. Because he put himself in the pot, didn't he? If I bring you a message different than everything else, different than everyone else, different than what God has given to you of salvation, then let me be accursed. If an angel from heaven... Now, why is he referencing angels? Well, you're worried about these Jewish guys coming in with their statement. What is their claim? Well, the law and the prophets, they came by the word of angels. You're probably seeing that a little bit in your study of Hebrews in Sunday school. Um, the angelic origin of 
revelation, they felt, gave it more authority. And so their claim was, well, you know, you just have the teaching of Paul, um, but we have a teaching that came from angels. And they're referencing back to the Old Testament. And they're claiming, well, because angels were involved in the giving of that, um, it's more powerful and more important, has more authority than the message you're receiving from these missionaries. So if an angel says that he, an angel can trump Paul's message, and Paul says, uh-uh, doesn't work that way. No. Even if an angel comes, and that's the word messenger, really, and some people would say, well, he's not referring to angelic being, but a messenger, but he does say a messenger from heaven. So even if an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you already, let him be accursed. And that's a pretty strong word. And I told you Galatians is full of very strong language. And this is not um, just, oh, you know, may bad things happen to him. He is talking about their eternal condition. When he says that they are to be cursed, the, the, the Greek word there is anathema, um, that their name is not to be named. Their name is not to be named in heaven. They don't have a place there anymore. They are eternally doomed. This is a very powerful statement. He's saying, I would rather be doomed than toy around and mess with and either add to or delete from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anyone who messes with it deserves to be accursed, anathema, unnamed in heaven. And this is the expectation of Paul. And it's so strong in his mind, he's going to say it again in the next verse. When you have a repeated statement in Scripture, um, especially right on top of each other like this, um, you should get the fact that he means it. (laughs) All Scripture is meant, but it is something the Galatians need to get thoroughly understood and beat into their heads that Paul really means this. This isn't a flippant statement. This isn't just something uh, that he's saying offhand. He means what he says, and so he's going to say it again. He's said it before to them. Now he's written it in the previous verse, and he's going to say it once again. Anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Why? Why such a strong position? Um, Because once you pervert the gospel, there's nothing else left. You have condemned men to a curse, and you should be accursed for that. Because it's the only hope, is this message. It's the only way. And we're going, and Paul then talks, wants to discuss its origin, because we've already introduced the origin. Judaizers claimed, well, we have angels that came from heaven and gave us this message. You have Paul. I mean, can you compare those two? And by the way, we have a group out there that claims angelic revelation as well, don't we? I think uh, his name was Moroni, and the one who received that revelation was Joseph Smith. And so they perverted the gospel by a message from an angel claiming to be from heaven, according to Joseph Smith and the Mormons. So yeah, this is still going on. This is still relevant. 
So Paul wants to address it. Where did he get his message? Did Paul make up all this stuff? Did Paul formulate the church and Peter and the rest were just too weak to stand up against him and, and he had all the Gentiles on his side because the church became Gentilian uh, by and large by the second, third century, second century, um, that uh, that's why his writings were preferred is because they were Gentilian and he just modified all of the teachings of Jesus to fit his interests in the Gentile world. And that's the accusation, is that Paul created his own theology um, and took it in places where Jesus didn't intend it to go. That's the accusation today that you will hear in many pulpits. And Paul's statement in verse 11 just blows huge holes in the midst of it. So what is it that Paul wants to make known to the people? What is the message that we want to communicate, and why is it good news, and where did it come from? And so verse 11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. This is not my message. And let's remember where Paul was. Paul's me- Paul was Saul, right? And he was ready to defend to the death the message of the law. And that radical transformation of his, of defending to the death and, and being an incredible agent of the leadership of Jerusalem to try to snuff out the way before Raleigh even got started, um, speaks to his commitments. And one has to ask, what changes so radically a person so passionate about the law to become so passionate about this message, the gospel. And Paul wants to communicate that to Galatians. It wasn't a man that changed my mind. This message didn't come from men. Um, It wasn't uh, an eloquent speaker. It wasn't um, because it, it's something my ears like to hear, uh, and, and that's not what convinced me. It was, it was not man's message, and in fact, the message is sort of ridiculous if you think about it. The contention is, is that God became man and dwelt among us with all the temptations that we are all exposed to, but never sinned in all of those years of life, even in childhood and infancy. It never sinned, never carried sin, never committed, never out, never spoke out of place, uh, never did anything that you and I don't even want to admit is sin sometimes, was never disobedient, uh, was sinless, died on a cross, and then, independent of any other authority, rose from the dead and is living today forever and ever. Let's just think about that message. I mean, from start to finish, you're pretty much, from being born of a virgin, conceived in a virgin, all the way to the resurrection, you're pretty much (laughs) inviting ridicule, aren't you, with that message? Come on, let's be serious. Every bit of it, from start to finish, um, when people say, oh, you have your fairy tales, um, is fairy tale material.
This is not stuff that Paul makes up. And without sufficient proof and sufficient power, it doesn't transform anyone. You can just add it to the list of Disney features and be done with it because it means nothing. If it's just a man's story that he made up, it means nothing. But if it's the truth, it's transforming. Paul says, I didn't get this from men. This is a man's message. Because men, whenever they develop a religion, always make sure that they invest in that religion the idea that you're going to be a good person. Every time. Go through and look at the religions of the world and figure out any of them that don't require you to be a good person to accomplish whatever it is, whether it's nothingness, (laughs) if you're into that, and uh, I want to become nothing. That's when I've achieved nirvana, whatever. And, or, uh, you know, 70 virgins in, in a place where God, Allah, isn't, and you can, you know, wine and dine your women, and Allah won't be around to bother you. Uh, isn't that a sad state to be in a religion where you're trying to earn a place away from God, where your Allah isn't? That's really what heaven is for a Muslim, is a place where Allah gives you the liberty to be who you want to be. Doesn't interfere. Doesn't hold his wrath over you, nor his mercy. And so you have the work of men that is there to please men. There is a stroking of the ego of man in every false religion. And even the false religion of the Judaizers stroke the ego of man. I can walk around like the Pharisees and say, I don't do that like those people, and I do this, and I give this, and I pray this, and I read this, and and we can walk around and very arrogantly uh, build up our own egos that somehow we have in our own self come to this place where God is pleased with us. And, oh boy, it's an ego trip, isn't it? And that's true of every false religion. It builds that ego, even with false humility, where um, you're going to crawl on the road to Chimayo. Why are you crawling on the road to Chimayo? Why do they do that every year? I know some of them hike it, but there's some of those fanatics that are out there. That if they don't get to Chimayo with bloody knees, they don't think they've done it well enough. Or just the fact that they have bloody knees and the others don't makes them more holy. Or the same thing down here at Tomei Hill. Why? Fundamentally, it's false humility because they're trying to say, look what I've done. Look what I've done. This is the message of men. And the message we have doesn't originate with men, and it's an affront to the pride of man. It says you can't do anything. Your righteousness are filthy rags. And so Paul says, my message, this message that I spoke to you, didn't originate with man. It's not mine. It's God's message that I've spoken to you. Now, if I am the one that is developing this, and this is really what he's talking about in verse 10. If I am the one who is manufacturing this message, if this is Paul's message, then I would certainly manufacture in a way that would please men. 
Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that if I'm going to manufacture a message that I want to sell to the masses, I'm going to make sure it appeals to the masses. Would you agree? I'm not going to manufacture a message that pretty much insults them all and makes them angry and wants to beat me up, especially my own people. Paul says, I didn't, I'm not preaching this to please men, and I'm not trying to, per, or to persuade men or, or to persuade God. I'm not fashioning God in my image. I'm not fashioning God to my interests. Um, I'm not trying to please men. Um, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He gave me this message. This is where it derives from. And I am a servant of it, not the generator of it. And so shame on every one of those authors that think they can isolate Paul's theology separate from Petrine philosophy or Theology separate from Johannian philosophy or theology. And yes, they do have books on John's philosophy or John's theology, Peter's theology, and they try to separate them out and, and categorize them that they were somehow not fully with each other. And it's horrible. This is the work of academia that doesn't want to acknowledge the oneness of our message. That these men um, were under the inspired work of one God, one Spirit, and preached one Jesus. Paul didn't have a different Jesus than Peter. Oh, no. John didn't have a different Jesus than Peter. They had different audiences. They didn't have a different Jesus, though. The same Jesus. So he says, I'm a servant of a message. I'm a servant of God. I didn't derive this stuff. I didn't manufacture it. I am a servant to it because it is originated in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I don't have permission to change it. And this is fundamental to the defense of Christianity against this attack from the Judaizers. This is Paul's... uh, editing of Christianity um, and the Harvard professors that say, well, Paul did this to Christianity and, and that it's really Peter, Paul, James, and, and uh, John that, that fashioned this. None of this was Jesus' idea. Um, and uh, this is contention that that's not the case. Paul says, we don't have permission to make this stuff up. We are servants of it. That means that it stands and we are either conformed to it or broken by it. We break upon that rock. We don't decide the shape of the rock. We don't have that capacity. We don't have that strength in us. And we don't have that right. He says, I didn't get the gospel from man nor was I taught it. It came through revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's referring certainly to his conversion experience. He's going to talk about that to somebody, but he's also talking well beyond that conversion experience. And um, he's going to talk about God's work all the way back to his own birth. Not that he's claiming to be born of a virgin himself, or so, but he's just saying that, that God was pleased to choose me. And there was nothing inherent in me. It was all the work of God. Our message is 100% 
God-oriented, which makes it 100% man-offensive. Okay? It's an offense to you, to your pride, to your idea that you can do anything to please God. Um, It's an offense, and that's why people either love it or hate it. Either you humble yourself and receive it and say, thank God, or you say, that doesn't sound, what am I doing? What about all this hard work I'm doing down here? I'm trying to be a nice guy. That should count for something. See how easy it is to be offended? Because the gospel is offensive. It is generated from God. It is 100% God-oriented and to his glory and of necessity for sinful man, it is offense. I mean, consider the offense of it. Um, I don't even want male DNA in the birth. Um, We are going to... uh, Stipulate that he didn't live uh, subject to sin like you and I, that you and I fall to temptation all the time. He never did, which is an astounding fact, and yet he could have, but he didn't. Yes, I said he could have. Okay? If he couldn't sin, then all the temptations were a farce. He could have sinned, but he didn't, which means you don't have to sin every time you sin. I'm pretty sure the Bible says there is a way of escape and we don't have to sin every temptation that comes down the pike and yet many times we succumb. That's an offense to me. He's saying, I didn't sin, why are you sinning? It's an offense to me that, that he died a criminal's death. These things are offensive. Paul says they're a revelation from Jesus Christ. They are God-centered. I am not persuading God of this, but rather God has persuaded me of this. I am the servant. He is the master. He is the revealer. I am the recipient. And so, because God is faithful, because God is immutable, um, we know that he is not going to change his mind and suddenly decide, well, okay, um, I'm going to open this back door at the last minute and you can come into heaven another way than accepting Jesus. No, it's going to be consistent. Uh, I love the fact that in our study of uh, end times, how during the uh, seven years of God's wrath, we made it very clear that there was no offer of of uh, there was an offer, but there was no opportunity for men to come to Christ uh, except for the 144,000. But I love that the 144,000 not were just Jewish men, but they are Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. Even in that context, they had to accept Christ as their Messiah. Even in the Millennial Kingdom, they have to accept Jesus Christ as their King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as their Messiah. And so it is totally God-centered And so Paul says, I'm not getting it from man. Um, I didn't receive this from other people. It has been revealed to me through Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean every person has to make that claim? No. Um, For the apostolic age, these men um, were receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, for those who want to claim that they are still receiving that revelation, 
They need to start adding addendums to their Bible and explain to me why it is not consistent with what's already there. Because God will not be inconsistent with his revelation. And so in the closing of Scripture, um, the revelation of Christ is complete. And so I confront people with God's word. You should confront people with God's word. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And if you can't fill in the phrase after that to address the issues of our day, you need to be in your Bible a little bit more. Because it's not your ideas that are going to transform anybody. Because when we start meddling with the message, we will always try to make it more palatable for men. We just will. It's, it's, we want to make it more palatable for us. We want to make it that it's easier for them to receive it. And that's why we have groups out there that want to, um, and I was a part of one of those groups, uh, that want to say, you don't really need to repent. I was asked to teach that at a camp. I was like, I need to teach this, that repentance isn't part of your salvation? Yes. Why? Because only believe. All you have to do is believe. You can't add repentance to it. You want to know what group that was? Yes, you do, don't you? You just won't tell me you do. That was Awana Clubs International. Very conservative at the time. Very mainstream in all of our Baptist churches. Many of them still have them today in our fellowship. Um, And their contention is is that if you add the word repentance, if you add the idea of lordship, if you add any of those ideas, you are perverting the gospel. It's only believe. You just accept it. Anything else is works. And, they, and, and they've made repentance a work, even though Romans makes it clear the goodness of God leads us to repentance. They want to take that out of the formula. Um, they want to take the idea that Jesus is Lord out of the formula They want to make it more simple for boys and girls. They want to make it more palatable. Um, We just want them to believe in Jesus. Well, that's not the gospel. I'm pretty sure the Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus and tremble at him. They're afraid of him. They obey him. Don't they? Get out of that man. Okay. (laughs) Can I go over to those pigs? Okay. Oh, I have your permission? Good. We always make it easier or more human-oriented when we start meddling with the gospel. When we start trying to, ah, can we make it better you can't make it better (laughs) because as soon as you start putting your ideas into it of what's good or bad about the gospel message you've ruined it and now it is ineffectual so my assignment at one of the leadership training conferences was to do a conference right after this movie that whole force was that you should only tell children you just need to believe in Jesus and you're not supposed to use all these other words and I went into scripture and I was like so my my session was right after that movie 
all over this state and into Texas and even in Arizona. And so that was my next session. And so I took the God's word. And of course, the verses they're quoting is Acts 16, right? What are they quoting? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's all you should be saying. And I said, okay, would you look down a little farther? And with many other words. I said, do you think any of those words are repent, obey, follow, Lord? By the way, even the Lord, Jesus Christ, I was real emphatic on that one. I spelled it out for him. Believe on the L-O-R-D, Lord, Jesus Christ. Why? Because once we get unbalanced in the message, we've ruined the message. And Paul says, I'm not here to please men with this message. I'm here to please God with this message. He's the originator, and we must be faithful to that revelation. And as soon as we start manipulating it, we are going to do damage to it, which is going to do injury to the goodness of the news we're sharing with others. And that's what the Judaizers have done. They accept Jesus as the Messiah, but they're zealous for the law. Myriads of them, James says, are love Jesus, accept him that he's the Messiah, but that doesn't change anything. We've still got to keep the law. They want to add Jesus to the equation, not replace the equation with Jesus. They wanted to make it more palatable. For whom? For themselves. <laughs> right? They wanted to make it easier for them because now we can get along with the Jews that don't accept Jesus as the Messiah because we're all keeping the law. And this is still kind of going on in Israel today. The Messianic community um, is still, they talk about Jesus as the Messiah and that's great, but they're all keeping the law too. And they're not making a distinction. And we are called to keep the gospel message in it as pure form and as biblical form according to the revelation of Christ, not on what pleases us or other men, um, and not that God has given us permission to meddle with this, but to give it in its simplicity, in its power, with all of its own offense to man and his ideas, um, because it has divine origin. Paul didn't make this stuff up. And we should be very happy about that. Peter didn't make it up. James didn't. John didn't. They were faithful servants of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are called to be, is to persist in that same attitude that we are going to take this revelation, accept it for its origin, divine origin, and break ourselves upon it or mold ourselves to it. Let it break us or mold us. Whether you, But let us not think that we can in any way change the gospel without doing injury to its designed effect, which is the deliverance of men from their sin. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And thank you for good news. That there is a way, the way, Jesus Christ, for us to deal with sin. Deal with death, to deal with our old nature and flesh and 
Lord, our prayers that we might be your followers and that we might not have the pretense to think we can enhance your message for this modern age, for it is certain we will only ruin it. Lord, guard our minds and hearts from such ideas. And let us hold unwaveringly to the entirety of your message. And though it offend men and their pride, their ideas, um, Lord, help us to stand all the firmer. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.